I thought that young lady did a great job this morning, didn't you? Done. I think we'll have her give uh, our pastor some tips and hints and lessons on how to do a great job getting the service started. No, she did a fantastic job. Hey, listen, sometimes uh, life presents you challenges that, that doesn't afford you or that don't afford you the opportunity to pray. Have you noticed that? So many years ago, I was out running on a prairie reserve in Illinois where we were living at the time. And as I was running, I noticed that my hands, the palm of my hands just began to itch uncontrollably. And I just thought, this is so strange. I don't know why this is happening. And then I kind of ignored it and I kept running and soon the bottom of my feet began to burn and itch. And I thought, this is so strange. And then I noticed that I, my, my eyes were feeling kind of sore. And I thought to myself, I have seasonal allergies, but I've never had a, re a reaction like this. And as I kept running, I began realizing it was getting harder to see because my eyes were swelling, the eyelids were swelling and kind of hanging over my eyes. And that's when I knew from my training as an EMT that I was having a pretty severe reaction to something. So I stopped and I slowed down, walked, and began to realize that my body was actually going into shock. I didn't have a cell phone with me and I was far from anybody around and I knew I had to keep myself from panicking and wasting energy, but I knew I was in trouble. And I also knew I didn't have time to pull out a Bible and I didn't have time to get a prayer journal. I didn't have time to set up my prayers and to go into 45 minutes or half hour of seeking God. I need God and I need help and I need it right now. So I just threw a prayer up that went something like this. God, I don't wanna die. <laughs> I don't want to be left to the vermin out here. Please help me. And obviously, God heard that emergency plea because I'm here today. But uh, long story short, ended up in the ER, got pumped full of drugs, and discovered later on through some testing, I have a rare condition called food-induced exercise-dependent anaphylaxis, which simply means I cannot eat nuts or sesame seeds. Isn't that weird? Uh, within several hours of exercising. If I do, my body can't deal with it and it starts to shut down. I've been in the emergency room a couple of times, so I have to be careful because people don't always tell you they put nuts in the food and you don't always know what's been cooked in. So I always have to wait several, four or five or more hours before I eat and exercise. But that's enough about me. My point is this. You don't have to be in a life-threatening crisis to find it hard to find time to pray. How many of you are families? Got kids at home still. You know what those moments are like, right? Everybody comes home from work and everybody comes home from school and you're trying to make a meal, you're trying to balance the checkbook and there are attitudes flying all over the place. It's not like you can just say, time out everybody, go to your room and spend 45 minutes with God and then we'll come back. I mean, it'd be nice if they would do it, right? Or let you do it, but it just doesn't happen. How do you pray when you don't have time to pray? Or sometimes it's at work. It's a stressful time at work. You've got difficult people. You've got difficult issues. You've got urgent decisions that need to make. It's not like you can say in the meeting, hey, everybody, can we go back to our offices, to our cubicles, and just get down on our knees for like a half an hour and just think about this and pray about this? I mean, it'd be nice if you could, but it's not going to happen. We have our educators with us, our students with us, those involved in all facets of education. 
You know, I know there's so much controversy about prayer in schools, but I don't know if you're aware of this or not. It doesn't matter what the rules say. There's a lot of praying that goes on in school every day. <laughs> You've got difficult situations, tests that you weren't ready to take, students that you thought were ready to take them. You've got tension. You've got problems. You've got budget. You've got billings. You've got technology. It's not like you can say, close the door, shut the lights off. Let's all sit at our desks and pray right now. How do you pray when it feels like you don't have time to pray? Is there a prayer, like a guide that we can use in those moments that we can just lift up before God? And the answer is there is. It's the very same prayer that we looked at last weekend. The prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray when they asked, Lord, teach us to pray. It's known as the Lord's Prayer. It's in your worship folder. It's up on the screen. Let's go ahead and let's read it aloud together. Ready? This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then, of course, the later manuscripts, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. And we worked through that prayer last weekend. And I showed you, and it's in your worship folder again today, a template that you can follow uh, by which you are able to hear from God and speak back to God. If you missed it last weekend, go online and check it out. But what do you do when you don't have time to spend ruminating over the prayer and listening and talking to God? Well, Max Lucado, one of my favorite authors, my daughter's pastor in Texas and a wonderful church that we've had a chance to visit over our visits to see our, our family down there, uh, has formed what he calls a pocket prayer based off of the Lord's Prayer. And I love the concept of a pocket prayer because it's like it's there, it's always with you, you can use it at any moment. It's brief and it's a prayer, no matter where you are, no matter what's going on, you can lift it up to God in your mind, either silently or if you're in a place where you could do it verbally, you could do it as well. I'm going to read it for you, and then we'll read it together. It goes like this. Father, you are good. I need your help. Heal me and forgive me. They need your help. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's try the pocket prayer together. Ready? Here we go. Father, you are good. I need your help. Heal me and forgive me. They need your help. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, what I don't want you to misunderstand is this. <clears throat> I don't want you to think to yourself that just uttering those words or saying them in your mind somehow has this mystical, powerful effect, all right? Because it's not so much the words as it is the meaning behind the words. In other words, it's a great pocket prayer to use, but if you don't know what it means, it really doesn't hold a lot of value. So what I want to do is I want to unpack it a little bit with you so that when you do pray it, you have a sense of what you're praying and why it is indeed so powerful. So let's just begin with the very first part of it, and that is this name. Jesus said, Our Father. Max says, Start with Father. Father. Now, Tim Keller, who's a theologian and pastor, says that what makes prayer powerful is not our posture, standing, sitting, kneeling, on our face, on our back. 
It's not fancy words that we use, King James, hither, thither, thou, and thy. It's not tears. It's not how we squeeze our hands. It's not how long we've been in prayer. It's not our fervency necessarily. But what makes prayer powerful is your knowledge of God. In other words, what do you know about God? And I don't know if you notice this or not, but crises in life, life's challenges, have a way of revealing just how much we do or don't know about God. What do you know about God being your father? Psychologists tell us that our concept of God as our father is very much related to our concept of fathers here on earth, father figures on earth. And many of us have had the privilege of having wonderful father figures. I have, many of you have as well, which has so helped us in thinking about God as our father. But over the course of my life in ministry, I've met so many men and women who have shared with me that they had a terrible father figure in their life. Their father was abusive or absent. I've met men like my own dad who has no recollection of ever hearing his dad or their dad say, I love you to them. And that kind of colors our concept then of God the Father. And what Jesus does is Jesus comes along in the Gospels and he says, let me give you a right concept of the Father. He does love you. And he's proven that he loves you because he gave me his only son to die for you. And I'm willing to die for you because we want you to be part of our family. You matter that much to us. Father. What does Jesus mean by that when he says, Father? What do we mean by that when we say Father? Well, Father, the, Jesus uses the name there, actually comes from an Aramaic term. Jesus was speaking Aramaic. And, and the Aramaic that Jesus uses, Abba. And to understand what Abba means in the English, the closest word that we have to Abba is Daddy. So Jesus says, our daddy who is in heaven, he's saying to us, when you call out to God, call him daddy. Daddy, I love that name for a father. When my kids were little, <clears throat> if they said daddy to me, that would get them an extra scoop of ice cream. If they said, and me as well. Don't let kids eat ice cream alone, is my motto. And... If they said, Daddy, that would get them an hour past the curfew that Mommy set. If they said, Daddy, I was ready to surround them with a bear hug. If they said, Daddy, with a whimper in their voice, I was ready to protect and defend them. Daddy was like a key that opened my heart. Wonderful term of endearment. But somewhere along the line, about their teenage years, they stopped calling me Daddy. They formalized it, dad, hey you. And my sons in their sarcastic moments when they think they're being funny, hey old man. If they only knew, if they still kept calling me daddy today, I'll tell you what, all my daughter would have to do is pick up the phone. She's 30, how old is Bethany? 30. Say something like that. I'm not good at that part, all right? 
If she called me on the phone and had the slightest little bit of emotion in her voice, Daddy, I'd move heaven and earth. Oh, my goodness. Now, my kids are watching, and you call me this week and say, Daddy, forget it, because I know what you're doing. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying, right? They only knew. Why do we stop calling our fathers Daddy? Think about that. Why do we, why do we stop? And I know some of you do, but still do. But why do we generally stop doing that? Because it feels childish to us. You get to a certain age, it just feels kind of silly to say, Daddy, right? And yet Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, I believe it's verse 3, unless you become like little children, can't enter into my kingdom. See, Daddy takes aim at our pride, doesn't it? Daddy reminds us that we are children. He is God and we, we need him. What, what a privilege that you at any moment could just call out verbally or silently in your soul, Daddy. Next phrase, you are good. Daddy, you are good. What does that mean? God, you are good. Daddy, you are good. I was sitting down on a plane the other day and a man sat next to me and didn't introduce himself. He just sat down and he blurted it out. It was almost embarrassing. He blurted it out. Do you see the captain of this plane? He looks like a boy. <laughs> Interpreted. He looks so young. Is he a good enough pilot to fly this plane across the Atlantic? You know, sometimes when you face turbulence in your life, we all do, if the turbulence is severe enough in your life, you can wonder, is God good enough to deal with this? Max talks in his book, Before Amen, he talks about God being good in skill and God being good in heart. What does it mean God is good in skill? But just listen to a couple of a passages of scripture, like I, out of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22, talking about God. It says, he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. Or in Isaiah 40, verse 25, to whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? Who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls them forth each by their name? Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Yep, God's good enough. God holds the universe in his hands. He created it all. Now, you may not agree with me. You may not know where you stand if you even believe in God. I, I'm glad you're here at least thinking about it. But I believe in we believe that God holds the world in his hands, so to speak. He, he's good enough to create it all, but he's also good in heart. David wrote these words. He said in Psalm 25, 7, Do not remember the, my, the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. Then he says in verse 8, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. Psalm 86, verse 5, you, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Yes, God is good enough to create and hold the worlds together. He's also good enough to love us tenderly and compassionately and to show us mercy and to show 
forgiveness. We have a song that we sing uh, in our modern services from time to time, You're a Good, Good Father. And I asked Chris if he would come out and, and stand us and lead us in song. So I'm going to ask you to sing. I know you're not normally used to doing this in the middle of the sermon, but would you mind helping me out? And I want you to listen to the words that you sing about God's goodness and the effect that has on you because the next two phrases in the pocket prayer are kind of troubling. Isn't that a beautiful song? I really, I really like that song because it's talking about who God is. Because of who God is, it talks about who we are. We are loved by God, but it doesn't always seem that way. See, that's the rub of that song. You can sing it, and when everything's going well, it's a wonderful song to sing. 
But when things aren't going so well, that's a hard song to sing. Daddy, you are good. I need your help. I need your help. And the Bible tells us that we're supposed to come to God and bring to him all of our needs. Whether they're small or whether they're great. Bring it all to God. Verse after verse in the Bible, it talks about that. One of the verses is found in Philippians chapter 4. Paul writes to the Philippian believers and he says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need, great and small. Thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So Paul is saying, really, bring anything to God and ask God to please fix it. Bring anything to God and ask God to increase your trust in him so that you'll have peace. And that sounds really good. I like that actually a lot. But it's not always our experience with God. God, Abba, Daddy, you are good. Help me. Heal me. Max Lucado tells a story, I assume it's from his own church, and that he did the funeral. He starts out and he says, a daughter of a dying man wrote these words in her journal. Dad can't tie up his own shoes anymore. Dad can't sign his name anymore. Dad breaks his collarbone and stops going to work. ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, was claiming her, daughter, her father's muscles. She documented the progress of the disease. Dad falls in the parking lot and has to wait on the ground until someone picks him up. Dad can't have his cornflakes for breakfast anymore. Dad can't put his arms around us anymore. Dad has trouble swallowing pureed peas. Dad can't hold his head up anymore. After seven years of her father's deterioration, finally she wrote this, lying beside dad as he sits in his chair, working for breath, praying for peace, wiping his nose, rubbing his shoulders, watching dad gaze heavenward and take his last quiet breath. Lord is our shepherd. The family selected two verses for the funeral handout. On one side, they had printed the verses, the verse, the Lord is my shepherd, and so I lack nothing. Across from it, on the other side of the page, they printed the scripture, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's the tension. That's the tension of life. Daddy, you are good. Help me. You said I could bring any need to you, my anaphylaxis, my kids, my wayward son or daughter, my cancer, my difficult relational issue. Heal me. And Daddy doesn't seem to respond. And on the one hand, we want to say, 
The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But on the other hand, sometimes you feel like God has forsaken you. Or if not you, that one that you love. We prayed so much for my mom almost a year ago. God, we touch her body and just bring hope and healing to her and she dies such a painful and difficult death. Throws you for a loop. Daddy, you are good. Help me. Heal me. How many of you parents raising kids? Courageous enough to admit it. Yes. Have you ever had your uh, kids look at you and say, you're mean? Yes, right. And if they didn't say it, they were thinking it. How many of you had your kids look at you and say, you don't love me. You don't understand me. Never had that happen to you? If your kids are still too young, it's coming. <laughs> It'll happen. And you know what? They're absolutely right. They're absolutely right. From their perspective, from their age, their position, their viewpoint in life, you do appear to be mean. You do appear not to love them. You appear not to understand where they're at, where they're living, what they're dealing with from their perspective. And of course, being a good parent, what do you say to them? You say to them, oh honey, listen, someday when you're my age, when you're a parent and you have kids, then you'll understand. Saying that to your kid, to them, that's like eternity. And the same thing's true in our relationship with God. From our perspective, honestly, there are times that we look at God and we want to say, you're me. Or we say it. Or you don't love me. Or you don't understand. From our perspective, it feels right to us. It, it, God just doesn't make sense. You tell me to call you daddy. You tell me that you are good. You tell me to ask you for help. I ask you for help. I say, heal me. He don't do anything. And God says to us, but wait, my son, wait, my daughter. Someday you'll understand it to us. That's an eternity. <laughs> because it doesn't happen until eternity. But as I look at the Bible, I realize that the Bible does teach clearly in both the Old and the New Testament that God does help, God does fix, God does heal. Sometimes he does it instantaneously, Sometimes he does it gradually, but he does it. <clears throat> and if that was all the Bible said about it, I probably wouldn't be up here today. I probably wouldn't believe in the Bible. If the Bible only made it sound like God does it instantaneously or gradually, and I've heard some preachers make it sound that way, read some books that make it sound that way, why believe? Because my life experience does not add up. But the Bible doesn't stop there. The Bible tells us God does help, God does heal, sometimes instantaneously, sometimes gradually, sometimes not in this life, but he will ultimately. And I can live with that. It's not easy, but I can live with that. John the Baptist, one of God's greats, Luke chapter 7, is in prison. And he sends word to Jesus, and the word is, really a question, are you really the Messiah? Which is a very strange, bizarre question for John to be asking Jesus because John is the guy who said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the one. 
He must increase, I must decrease. So why is John the Baptist now asking, are you really the one? Are you really the one that we're going to look for? Are you really doing all these miracles? It's because John is in prison. He's about to have his head literally removed. And the turbulence in his life is so great that from his perspective, his world is being rocked. He's not sure God is good. Or that Jesus is good enough. So he had to know. Are you really good enough? Everybody else is getting their miracles. Why am I not getting my miracle? And in Luke chapter 7, verse 23, I believe it is, Jesus says, go back and tell John, I am the one, I am doing miracles, but tell John, blessed is the one who does not trip over me when I don't give them the miracle they want. That's what the Greek literally means. Blessed is the one who doesn't stumble or trip over having to wait for ultimate healing after this life. How about Jesus? Jesus hung on the cross, was crucified, and he cries out to God, Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In his humanity, Jesus felt forsaken by his daddy. He felt the emptiness even though Jesus had prayed my, he earlier and said, not my will, but thy will be done. He could feel what we feel. That's why he relates to us in every way. He had to wait for his miracle to after death when he was raised from the dead. And you don't think you have a savior that can relate to you? How about Paul, the apostle Paul? He had a thorn in his side, in his flesh. We don't know what it was. But three times he asked God if God would remove it from him. And three times God said no. And finally God said this to Paul. He said, my grace is sufficient for your life. I'm going to let you live with that thorn. You think it makes you weak, Paul, but it actually makes you very strong. Why? Because you're depending on me. And you're experiencing me in a way that you wouldn't experience if I removed that thorn. So for your life, you'll have to wait for ultimate healing in the now you will have to live with that thorn. I love the saying by Max Lucado. I just, I love it. He says, sometimes our suffering is our sermon. That's true, isn't it? Sometimes our suffering is our sermon. And sometimes in our suffering, we encounter the miracle of God's presence in a way that we wouldn't if God gradually or instantaneously took our suffering away. And when you experience God that way, you come to know that God truly is good. Daddy, you're good. Help me, heal me, forgive me. He is a forgiving God, aren't you glad? Favorite story in the Bible, prodigal son. Favorite because we've all been there. We're all prodigals. Ran away from home, wasted what his father gave him, went to go back home, was sure his father wouldn't take him back as a son, offered to go back as a servant, had his apology ready. When his father saw him coming, his father ran, draped his arms around him and forgave him before the son could even get his confession out. The son thought that he had lost his inheritance. The father never stopped thinking of him as his son. Jesus said, 
that the Bible says in Romans, in that while we are still sinners, while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Peter came to Jesus one day and said, how many times should I forgive somebody who hurts me or offends me? Three, uh, seven times? He thought he was being pretty generous. Jesus said, try this math, seven times 70. In other words, as often as they ask you, that's what your father does for you, that's what you should do for others. If you've truly experienced ultimate forgiveness. Daddy, you are good. Help me, heal me, forgive me. They need your help. This is not just about me, it's about others. And while I always want to be a help, I want to be the hands and feet of Jesus, sometimes you can only do so much. And they're in a situation where you cry out to God, you say, God, help them. And you ask God to do it instantaneously or gradually, if, if, must, if it must be ultimately, but God help them. And so I keep a prayer list, and all my prayer lists are the people I'm praying for with different kinds of needs. And I always like it when I can X one off because the need's been met, the healing has occurred. But I got some of the lists I've been praying for for a really long time. Persevering in prayer. I don't understand all of that. But I'm not going to stop praying. Not going to stop stop asking, seeking, knocking. Until God gives an answer one way or the other. Daddy, you are good. Daddy, help me. Daddy, heal me. Daddy, forgive me. Daddy, help them. Thank you. Thank you. If you read the Bible carefully, you'll discover that going into prayer, our attitude should be thanksgiving. In prayer, we should be thankful. And out of prayer, when we're done praying, remain in a thanksgiving state. I gotta be honest with you, that's something I'm really working on in my life. Developing an attitude of continual thanksgiving is not easy to do. We live in a very thankless world. We live in a very difficult world. But why should I live like the world? Why can't I develop an attitude of thankfulness I need to come to God already with a heart of thankfulness because I already know God has been so good. He's gave his son for my salvation and for the world. Start being more thankful. It changes your whole perspective. Daddy, you are good. Help me, heal me, forgive me. They need your help. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know what that means? It means, and now I bring this person, I bring this situation and I place it under your authority. I place my cancer under your authority. I place my relational troubles under your authority. I place my wayward child under your authority. I place my fears, my worries. I place it all under your authority because you are good in skill. You are powerful. I just place it there and I leave it there. Amen. Now, when you pray that prayer, if you know that that's what it means, it's a powerful prayer, isn't it? You can pray anytime, anywhere, and as often as you need to. Let's pray. Daddy, we announce and proclaim what is true. You are good. Even if we don't feel it, even if our perspective wants to tell us differently, we know you are good. Daddy, we need your help. Daddy, heal me. Daddy, heal us. Daddy, forgive me. Forgive us. Daddy, he needs your help. She needs your help. They need your help.
Abba, thank you. Abba, place it all under the authority that you've given to your son in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.